everyone. Well, uh, welcome to Clerically Speaking. Uh, this is our first time trying this out. So I'm Father Harrison. And I'm Father Anthony. Yeah, so uh, our purpose behind this podcast started off as an idea uh, when Father Anthony and I were talking about Jordan Peterson. And mm-hmm. he had this idea for, for a podcast, just like a one-time thing. And I said to him, I think, I think we got to do more. I think we got to do more. So I said, let's, because let's, we have so many good ideas and we're so smart. We are. And we're best. so clever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and of course, it's not a, it's not a podcast without drinking. Mm-hmm. Right. So what are you drinking, Father Anthony? <laughs> so I am at my brother's house. He's at Papa Sharapa. He's also, I guess, our producer. Call Nick our producer. Yep. And uh, he has a little kegerator with Guinness on tap. So that That's is what nice. I am drinking. I'm going for something a little simpler. Uh, mm-hmm. One of our craft breweries from BC called Parallel 49, one of my favorite breweries. Uh, there's their craft lager, nice and easy, a nice little summer day drink. So, so yeah. So how how you doing, Father Anthony? I uh, <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. So uh, full disclosure, of course, we're recording this. What day is it today? Uh, the 16th. The 16th. Um, and so, uh, as people know from Twitter, I am from the Diocese of Pittsburgh, and we had that. Uh, the report from the grand jury come out, um, and we're going to talk about that eventually uh, more in depth. But obviously, that's just been overwhelming, like everything, mm-hmm. everything in my life, everything in um, the diocese right now. So that's been very much on my mind, on my heart. Um, but other than that little thing, uh, things are fine. Uh, cool. Thursday is my day off. I'm hanging out yeah. with my brother. We're doing this podcast thing. So nice. Yeah. What about yourself? I heard Canada is on fire. Is that true? It is on fire. <laughs> Yesterday, my throat started to hurt, and I was like, oh, no. Please don't get say I'm getting a cold or something like that. But I, I got home, and it got better. I was visiting some parishioners, and their, their door was open, and it was just smoke, smoke everywhere. So uh, we have some fires in the interior, taking because BC is essentially one big forest. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's fires going on in, in the interior there. And it's just the smoke's been just kind of coming out west over and over and over again. So a couple, few days ago, the, the entire town was just covered in, in smoky skies. It was really, it was really weird. So it was kind of, it was kind of eerie, actually. It felt like something out of the Book of Revelation with the blood-soaked sun and oh, everything. Yeah. It, was, it was cool, but it was a little eerie. It was a little eerie. Sure. So I have a question, though, okay. because I'm a little confused. Not yeah. that I don't believe you, but how can Canada be on fire if it is totally covered in snow all the time. <laughs> like, that's the part... I don't want to discredit you, like, right at yeah. the beginning, our first episode, but I yeah. really don't understand how that could be Well, true. believe it or not, it's actually not covered in snow right now. If you can believe this. Uh, I mean, I'll just take your word for it, because <laughs> you're a good holy priest, but I'm going to have to do some Google research after this, because I'm pretty sure Canada is always completely covered in snow. Okay. I'll give you I'll give you a little tip because it's it is funny. I mean I've heard, I've heard so many interesting stories from especially people coming from the states to visit BC because BC like especially the Lower Mainland and Vancouver Island is not the same climate as a lot of the rest of Canada during the winter at least. So people expect yeah like you said people I've I've seen people in the summers come to Canada with like snow parkas on and in you know in thirty degrees Celsius weather. <laughs> and uh all sorts of fun things but um it's actually like bc like where i live i'm lucky if i get snow twice a year really twice a year i get with the same climate as seattle that's amazing yes so it means like where i live we get way more snow than you do yeah wow 
that's why I, where I live is awesome. Okay. So, but yeah, but you know, just as a little side note, uh, mm -hmm. I, I have, I've actually spent a lot of time in the diocese of Whitehorse, which is like way up north. They have no priests. And my bishop used to be bishop of that diocese. So he has a heart that those communities get served. Sure. So I spent a lot of time in a town called Telegraph Creek, which you may have seen on Twitter. I was talking about this family who were lay missionaries. They left town just before the fire started um, mm -hmm. to go give birth to their sixth child. And they live mm -hmm. in a rectory with two rooms, six kids, two rooms, and one room for them. And they're amazing. They are mm -hmm. some of the holiest people I know. But unfortunately, the fire got into the town, destroyed about a third of the town, including the church and the rectory, which is really sad. So, you know, yeah. I'm just asking people to pray for them. We've, we've got started that GoFundMe, which we'll be giving them the funds next week. <clears throat> and it was actually really beautiful to see the responses from people about this. We raised a lot of money for the family. The family's doing really well, actually, but my heart goes out to them because I spent a lot of time in Telegraph Creek, especially. So, but it's, uh, they are, they want to go back. They want to go back once they can. Mm -hmm. It's just sad because the this is. I mean, it it shows you that we're wimps today as priests. The, that town, <laughs> the, there was a priest there for about thirty years. His name was Father mm -hmm. Bouillard. He was yep. an oblate priest between Telegraph Creek, Dees Lake, and Iscut. And in Iscut and Telegraph Creek, he built the rectory and the church by himself. People would offer him help, and he says, "Nope, I'm doing this myself," with his own two hands. Like it's just wow. amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's so it's sad that what he built has been destroyed by the fires, but uh, they'll they'll persevere. And the church in Canada is being really supportive of this. We have a you know maybe it's not the same with the states as much, but we have a lot mm -hmm. of northern missions here because of okay. Yeah. So yeah, so that's a bit been on my heart this week. But on like a kind of totally different note, did you try those ketchup chips? I didn't. Okay, so I. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In, like, Western PA, Ohio kind of area, there's this gas station. I say gas station, but it's really a magical place. It's called Sheets. So it's a gas station, but it's got all kinds of food, and all. it's just magical. And there's one that is two minutes from my rectory, and I eat there, like, all the time. Like, so much so that um, I came in there one day without wearing my clerics, and everyone who worked there just freaked out. They lost their minds. They were so used to seeing me. I'm basically their chaplain. Anywho. I go there just, what, a couple of days ago, and I see they have all kinds of chips, and I saw ketchup potato chips. I'm like, I know that. That's a Canadian thing. And so I didn't order them because obviously I didn't because that's a weird flavor. Like, what's next, mustard chips or mayonnaise <laughs> chips? But apparently this is a big wait, deal. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Can you say mayonnaise again? Mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. <laughs> mayonnaise. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've just never heard anyone say it like that. I, I, I say mayonnaise. Like, we, we kind of elongate. You, you kind of shorten the O. Like, it almost sounds like mayonnaise. Now I'm really self-conscious about the way I say mayonnaise. <laughs> Note to self, don't preach about mayonnaise. People will make fun of you. Okay. Okay, sorry. Continue. I mean, that's about it. I saw them, and I accused you of putting them in uh, the, the store, which is mm -hmm. probably not fair to you. But, uh, yeah, so the, apparently they're, they're, like, good, and Canadians eat them all the time. Yep. Yeah, so you didn't actually try them? No, of course not. Oh, no, dude, you have to try them. Uh, see, I'm a bit of a ketchup purist. People keep trying to, like, do weird stuff with ketchup. For me, living in Pittsburgh, ketchup is Heinz tomato ketchup, period. Okay. Not Whataburger, you know, BS, whatever. 
and you don't put it on chips. That's ridiculous. You put it on French fries. If you're in Pittsburgh, you put it on eggs sometimes and other stuff. See, but, it's more, but it's more like it's more like a ketchup substitute flavoring rather ooh, than delicious like, sounding. Exactly, right? It's it's <laughs> it's more chemically than that than your regular ketchup. You know, I think I think people yeah. who are going to be listening to the podcast are pretty much going to want to see pictures of you actually eating ketchup potato chips now. So it's <sighs> going to have to happen at some point, or or okay, okay. someone's going to be sending you them in the mail. It's true, and then you have that, to eat them. You know, yeah, the Lord do. does say that. Uh, eat what is given to you, right? So, mm-hmm. oh, I had one more thing. So you're yeah. talking about uh, priests being wimps, right? <laughs> Which reminded me of myself yesterday. So, I like to think of myself as a pretty simple guy. Like I've always been relatively comfortable. My parents both have good jobs. I go to seminary; they take care of me. I go to the parish; people take care of me. But I like to think that it doesn't get to my head, right? I I can live simply if I need to, right? I don't have to keep ordering a bunch of stuff on Amazon and going to gas stations for, um, like, food and stuff. Like, I can just eat what's in front of me where... Well, that illusion was very much broken for me the other night. So, my day off is Thursday. A lot of times I try to sneak away later Wednesday. So, Wednesday, I'm at my parents' place. They have good Wi-Fi. My rectory has terrible Wi-Fi. I get my Xbox all set up because I'm going to play Fortnite because that's what I like to do on my day off. I also pray and read books, don't worry, but Fortnite is what I like to do on my day off, right? So I go there, I try to log on, and Xbox Live is broken. I don't know exactly what was wrong with it, but for two hours it was broken, and I lost my mind. I was super cranky. Now, meanwhile, I have a bunch of other video games I could play, but like, I was super angry. I kept refreshing everything, and I realized that, yes, yes, I am a big wimp, and the Lord let me see that through my inability to play Xbox Live last so, night. So, question about yeah. that, you know, because this oh, is something I've always wondered about. What's, what is your, like, why do you like video games? Uh, so, I basically grew up with them. Like, I remember mm-hmm. having a uh, NES, like an original Nintendo, mm-hmm. and I remember waking up early in the morning as a kid so I could play Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was just a thing I did. Um, so, it became such a part of, like, my life. And my friends and I played video games. And... If I look at it more seriously, it's probably an escape from like the anxieties and things of this world. I think it very much I use it as an escape. Mm-hmm. So there'd be times where uh, maybe some people are familiar with the game World of Warcraft. It's one of these massive online games. And like I would, in high school, I played that so much that it was like bad, like for my health. Like so I always have to watch out for like how much I play and when I play. So that's why I kind of save it for my day off and uh, trying to play during the weekdays and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of times it's like the story of the game or the skill of the game mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, social aspect yeah, mm-hmm. for online, you know, for or multiplayer games is a lot of fun. So just, uh, I don't know, it's something mm-hmm. I do. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting. So I'm, I'm the same way in a, in a way. I don't play games as much as I used to. Though. Like I, I grew up, I had the Nintendo, had the Sega. Uh, I remember PlayStation 1 came out, all those things. And I, I was playing them all the time growing up because that's kind of what you just did. I, I mean, I, I wasn't a reflective kid at all. I, I just kind of, <laughs> even or even as a teenager, right? I, yeah. I, I just didn't think of these things or think of mm-hmm. these things on and stuff like that. And even actually when I was in university, I had every kind of teenager's dream job for three years. I worked in a video arcade. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like an was, arcade arcade. Arcade arcade. And it was great because if yeah. I worked the day shifts, no one was there. And my boss was like, if you want to do homework, 
that's fine. There's no one here. Just do homework. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is great. I'm getting paid to do homework. And we got unlimited free tokens, right? Yeah. I became, I actually, I got really good at Dance Dance Revolution. Really? Because yeah. you do not strike me as a Dance Dance Revolution kind of priest. I don't know. I just don't know what I that looks do, like, but I it's could not do you. The, you, know, you know how people, you can do like the two pads? Yes. I could do two pads on difficult. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, so, wow. yeah. yeah. So it was, and it was fun. It was a good job and I enjoyed it. But mm -hmm. I've been finding, like, it's, it, it's been kind of playing in me these different questions around this stuff because I find for myself, well, once every six months, I feel this need to just get it all this need for like brainless activity out of my system and I yeah. will go hog wild and I'll play video games for like 16 hours in one day. Wow. Yeah. And then I just won't touch it again for six months or something like that. <laughs> but, and it, it kind of, so last week, I got back from uh, we, in the Western Conference of Catholic Bishops. They kind of gather all the young clergy from Western Canada together, guys who've been ordained under six years, to just come together, learn together, pray together, relax together, just yeah. to talk about ministry and what it's like and how are you adjusting to ministry. Because for people who don't know, the first five years are, are the toughest. Like, they're the hardest to kind of get going. Uh, right. it's, it's, it's Everything's new every day right like i've been thinking about even myself like man it's it it takes a lot of adjustment just learning how to be a pastor mm -hmm. uh from being an assistant or an associate um but it was interesting like just talking to the guys and like realizing you know what it's okay to do things that are relaxing once in a while and i recognize <laughs> like sometimes i guess i struggle i feel guilty if i'm relaxing too much sometimes mm -hmm. i do struggle with laziness a little bit so i or acedia so i worry about that a little bit sometimes but it was kind of cool because like like there's a bunch of guys who i went to seminary with they play nhl 18 all the time together mm -hmm. and so <laughs> but it's the only way that they can really kind of hang out together because we, we the problem for us with seminary is our seminary is is a regional seminary so we're scattered all over western canada which is quite large geographically yeah so it's the only, and I was like, okay, I, I shouldn't feel so bad about this. Maybe I should play like NHL with them once in a while or something like that and just kind of have some fun with it. It's, I'm a man of extremes, so I can go like one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was, but it's, yeah, so I was just kind of curious about that because I'm like, so I kind of blew off the dust off my PlayStation and got myself my NHL game so I can play with them once in a while. Yeah, that's good. I think that's healthy because there's this, there's this whole myth of like the superhero priest yeah. where we have to be... And this is going to sound maybe kind of not great for people, but like the idea that we have to be available literally 24-7, that we always have to be busy, that we always have to be doing priest stuff, like that is yeah. not healthy. No, exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I was kind of reflecting, again, this is where I was just re reflecting on this, like to say, do what? No, no, it's okay to have leisure. And it's, it's, and also like, you, like this idea of working all the time that's that it's part of like the protestant work ethic idea right it's mm -hmm. like working is where value is i'm like no it's i mean the highest leisures are obviously stuff like prayer and reading and stuff like that things that build up our spirit but there's nothing wrong with the lower leisures as well and as long as they're in balance right because I, right. I i agree i agree i think like this idea of, like no the priest needs to be able to essentially if i snap my fingers the priest is going to jump and do what i want i'm like well no we're only one man yeah exactly <laughs> Only one man. Like if you're dying, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. jump up and go to the hospital. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. We've all done that before. Yeah. But like, Father, I need to speak to you right now. I'm like, uh, maybe, maybe you don't though. Maybe you can wait until tomorrow. Yeah. Or maybe we can schedule something. Yeah. And it, certainly, it's not everyone. I think uh, most 
of my parishioners like really like that I try to take care of myself and I mm-hmm. take my day off. They're actually very affirming about that, which is yeah. great and encouraging because there is this voice in my head that says to be a good priest, you always have to be busy. You always have to be doing stuff. You always have to be blah, 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 blah. So it's a, like, that's a constant fight within myself. And I think that's the devil. <laughs> yeah, probably, right? Exactly. Because, because yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, because I think what's our mission as a priest? We, okay, we're all ordained priests, but God's given us different charisms and stuff. So we have like, we have um, different paths and, and for, and so it's, we, some priests will maybe have that charism to really work hard and, and work a lot, but it's not something that's like detrimental to them as a person. Well, like God might mm-hmm. not be asking me like to be, you know, like it's this, this idea. I have to be Saint Jean Vianney. I have to live off bread and water and yeah. sit in the confessional for 15 hours a day. I'm like, but I'm not Saint Jean Vianney. I'm mm-hmm. Harrison Eyre. And yeah. that is, so God's going to make me a saint through myself, not trying to live up to the ideal of another priest. Not saying that he doesn't offer me examples of what it is to be a good priest. Not mm-hmm. that he can't challenge me to, you know, examine myself as a priest, but I'm not him. I'm yeah. me. And if I'm going to be a saint, it's going to be as Harrison. Yeah. And I think that that really connects to something that I think plagues most of the people of God who are really striving. They have this, a lot of us have this idea that holiness has to look like this one thing yeah. or this one saint. And we have this image of holiness in a box. And if we don't fit right into that box, we're terrible, we're no good. Uh, and we end up beating up our, you know, beating ourselves up. And that's not the way the Lord wants us to live. Not yeah. at all. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, shall we go into the next segment? Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk so, about some tweets. Some, some tweets. So for the this is this is a new as we said this is all new for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something we're gonna have to grow into. Yeah, we're we're gonna work at um, making things more seamless, obviously, and it's also gonna be work for us. We recognize it's gonna take more work to do stuff like you know, say bookmark t- tweets we've seen in the last couple of weeks and stuff like that. But we want to engage with people on Twitter, not just mention a tweet, but use it as an opportunity to talk about something just for a couple minutes. And we'll tag you guys in the podcast when it comes out for those whose tweets we mentioned. So the first one I wanted to kind of bring up is actually one that was done today. Uh, our good friend T with Tolkien, Caitlin mm-hmm. Vashida, uh did her, uh, her Twitter litany of Twitter humility today. Yes, that was excellent. That was awesome, and mm-hmm. so for those who don't know, we'll ta- we'll we'll keep we'll put the uh, the post on the podcast. But stuff yeah. like from the desire of being followed, deliver me, oh Jesus. From the mm-hmm. desire of being retweeted, deliver me, oh Jesus. From the desire of being mentioned on the chimney, deliver me, oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and so on and so forth. But I thought it was actually it was actually really cool. Yeah. Well, I think as as silly as it sounds, it points to. Something I think is really important when we engage with social media as like Christians, right? Because they, even though it's good to be out there on this platform, to be out there in the world, it's our job as Christians to do that. If we don't do it intentionally, and if we're not giving it to God, and if we're not examining ourselves, uh, that can be, you know, social media can be very um, detrimental to your soul. Like I've seen people who are Catholic and have all these you know, Catholic avatars and names and everything who tweet nothing but like angry, bitter things that yeah. make me like really worry about them. Like yeah. that's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I, and I, I think, um, yeah, it's fun. Like I think 
when you do stuff tongue in cheek like that, there's actually what makes it awesome is that there's mm -hmm. actually a ser like you're saying, there's a seriousness to this. Like, we it, it, are we being humble? Or like, it's it's a good gut check or a good examination of conscience of how we're using social media. Just because media is not morally neutral, and how we use it. Uh, ought, I've heard I've had people who kind of DM me say, "Oh yeah, I mentioned I, I went to confession. I actually had to mention something I said on Twitter, right? Stuff like wow, that." And, well, and, good for them for mentioning. And, and, it, yeah. And, yeah, like this is not confession. Don't worry, people. These are not people coming to me in confession, uh, partially because I don't think anyone in my parish knows what Twitter is. But <laughs> <laughs> praise God. But you know, but people talking to me on DMs and stuff like that about, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I'm realizing like I need to be more discerning about how I use social media, and I think that's a good thing. Like how. Social media is good, and I think you and I can speak to a lot of positive interactions we've had with people, privately Absolutely. especially, um, through our work on social media, mm -hmm. but it always needs to be gut-checked. Yes. Yeah. I agree. And, yeah, so that was the, one of the fun ones I, I saw. Um, oh, wait, I other, want to bring something yeah, up that yeah, I think yeah, it's very ahead. important. Yeah. So... Uh, our podcast name is Clerically Speaking, and mm -hmm. we have to give a shout-out to at Nick Sens for giving us a lot of excellent names, suggestions for our podcast. So we kind of like crowdsourced this idea, which we name our yep. podcast. Names that he came up with, Paternal Correction, In Podsana Christi, Clerically Speaking, Priest Frenemies, Surplus Commentary, and I drew from that <laughs> list to take our whole poll. Now, even though there was a poll for like what we were going to name our podcast, we were always going to name it Clerically Speaking because we like that name. <laughs> but uh, we're glad everyone agreed. So that worked yes. out. So yeah. he's really good at making, like, his gift to the world is coming up with puns for priest podcasts. It was. That's a really special thing. It was a thing of beauty because they were just rolling out, like, one Man. after another yeah. after another. And I was just, I was laughing as I was seeing, as I was getting these notifications and like, you were yeah. kind of like screaming. I'm like, why are you so good at this? <laughs> <laughs> Cause it was amazing. It was amazing. It really was. So yeah. I was, yeah. So thank you to Nick Sens for that. And also, um, we want to thank not that is a right for, yeah, is that she yeah. can DM us if we mispronounced her handle. Mm -hmm. We'll tag her too for yeah. our awesome banner and icon and stuff like that. We we, we will be uh, changing the font eventually. That is our producer's job because he is yeah. a font snob. He and, is. <laughs> but yes, thank you to her for that awesome. She just kind of DM'd us. She goes, and I love it because like you said, we she gave us two. And mm -hmm. we chose the first one because it looks like I'm yelling at you. Yes, exactly. And I was like, <laughs> that seems like... yeah. The right one to do. That's more authentic. Yeah. And then uh, finally, an honorable mention to Kyle Helmick at Helmicky Mouse for the name that got the most likes, but we decided not to use, which is Catholic Hipster Circus Stuff You Should Know Crunch in a Pint of Aquinas' Electric Chimney, which was a brilliant combination of some of the most popular um, <laughs> podcasts. And uh, yes, we hope to surpass them all. So there. But uh, he was but humble enough to not mention his podcast in that. Oh right, yeah, he's got a little podcast. Yes, we, we should drop. Like we should name drop them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. yeah, it's really cool. It's a cool podcast to listen to, especially mm -hmm. about family life. So yeah, but he's he's such a humble man that he didn't even mention his podcast in that string. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Extra um, Jesus points for the helmet. Yes. So I got another one here uh, from sure. at Aaron D ninety Aaron Daly, who's mm -hmm. on Twitter, and she says this: interested in dating a girl, ask her out. Curious about religious life contact some nuns interested in veiling at mass try it 
Want to kneel while you're receiving communion? Do it. Stop making every little decision weird by saying God told me, didn't tell me to do it. Just do it. Uh, this is excellent. Isn't it? It really is. Uh, so, like, oh, man. This is something that's... Out, out, uh, so I feel very much so for a lot of young Catholics who are really striving to discern their vocation, like honestly and truly. And discerning your vocation, and I remember this for myself when I was in high school, can be this utterly agonizing thing. But if you have this idea that absolutely every decision, you need like some massive confirmation from God, you're gonna drive yourself nuts. Mm -hmm. And that's not how God works. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, she, uh, she actually said some, my phone just went on my blank screen. Okay, she actually, this was actually in reply to her first tweet. Stop waiting for God to give you permission to do something and just do the thing you noobs, provided the thing is good and won't lead you away from <laughs> yeah. God, right? And I, I, she's totally right. Like this, it's this over discernment culture. I think we've been leaning away a bit from it a bit, mm -hmm. but like you said, it, it, the first place it hits is with vocation. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to figure out if God's calling me to marriage life or, or religious life or whatever. I'm like, no, no, just... It's not that difficult. Everyone's like, I, I for me, because I, I went through that same, I actually, I, I went through that myself. I was like, I called to marriage and I called to priesthood. They're both goods. What is it, God? Yep. Which one do you want? And I, it took some actually reading of some theology that really kind of knocked me out of that to say, no, no, everyone's called to marriage. We're built for that. It's mm -hmm. what it, we're built for in our bodies. But some people will receive a special call in their heart to sacrifice that. And that's what you go to seminary or a, religion, or a community to discern that, right? But then you have people say, like, I've asked people to say, oh, can you help me out with something with this ministry? I want you to give a 30-minute talk. Well, let me pray about it. I got to ask God if it's something he wants me to do. Right. I'm like, no, just give it. Which always tells me, actually, you're going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> let me you're pray about no. it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, let me check my schedule or I'll get back to you. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I've played those games too, my yeah. friend. Yeah. That's the answer. Just tell me no. That's cool. Just try it. Just try it. Just yeah. do it. Stop being so we're so afraid of just making a choice and thinking like if like for example she's talking about this idea like it's as if you know dating someone is going to affect the eternal salvation of my soul in that sense well actually not doing something will affect the eternal salvation of your soul but yeah. just going on on a date with someone if, if you're not sure where you're going vocationally just do it like that's what that's the advice i give to people often in spiritual direction i, I remember one time one guy kind of without revealing too much stuff he said like sure. he went on a date with someone he says, you're not mad at me? I said, no. He goes, why not? I said, because <laughs> you haven't given me any clear indication that you're called to priesthood. So great. Yeah. That's what yeah. I want. And he was like so happy and relieved. Now he's married and everything. And it's great. So stop yeah. over discerning. But real quick, real yeah. quick, because you said something that I'm sure people are going to have questions about. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad you said it, but I think people are going to have questions about it. Is that you said everyone is called to marriage. <laughs> but then you said some people are also called to, you know, uh, right. celibacy or discernment, right? right, right. So yeah. can you just explain that a little bit? Because I think it's sure. a good point. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it actually be a really good kind of more larger podcast topic one day. Mm, but, yeah. um, but just so people aren't panicking. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, the, the traditional kind of idea is that we, it's built in our bodies that we're called to marriage, right? We're literally mm -hmm. built for marriage, for procreation. Um, but God might place on our hearts a desire to leave all that, which means to sacrifice that good. Now the question becomes like, I, for example, people say, I think where people freak out, and I actually get a lot of this on Twitter. What about single people? Oh right, yeah. What we're about have to do a whole people? thing on, we have to on, have, on discernment. Yeah, we have really. to do a whole thing. But uh, I mean, I this is like my monthly thing I do on Twitter. I almost say this every month, and then someone inevitably <laughs> comes at me. But I'm saying, you yep. know, some people who might have 
a call to a vocation that might not be through their own fault. They might not enter that vocation. Right. And so I always say that, well, then you can live a kind of quasi religious life. You can, you might, you're not going to make any vows per se, but you can live yeah. a life of service to the church uh, in a secular way. And I, and it's, and, and actually that cross of not entering a vocation can be a real source of grace. Yeah. It's not a vocation and, qua vocation, but it, it, it's a secret religious vocation that's just personally lived. Ooh, yeah, we're gonna have to dive deeper into yeah. that. But I, I agree, we're gonna have to. Okay. That's fascinating. Okay. So I got, I got one more tweet. Uh, I think this is this is one you were, you were kind of saying that you wanted to talk about uh, from mm. from Jeremy McClellan. Yes, uh, it was a good tweet. It was a, it was a, I mean it was a really good tweet because I, I you remember him DMing you and he DMed me about this as well. He mentions us in it. Uh, but it was a really good tweet. So I kind of want to, maybe I'll just read out his tweets and then we can go from there. Yeah, go for so it. So he says, I have a feeling that Catholics need to start outing priests to excuse or downplay certain sins in the confessional. Everyone I know has stories. This is all connected. At the very least, we must report them to their bishops. A month ago, while traveling, I went to confession at a church in the Diocese of Arlington Church. The second I stepped into the confessional, I could feel something was wrong, something dark. I've only felt this before while looking into abuse at my old job. Not going into any details, but I confessed several sexual sins which aren't debatable. The priest told me that they weren't sins and God just wanted me to be happy. I quoted texts to him and he said that the church has too many rules. Folks, this went on for a while. I had to beg him for absolution and penance. Before I even left the church, I messaged priests on Twitter, yourself and myself, mm -hmm. to make sure it was valid. It was valid, by the way, but all I could think was, one, what the hell is, is he teaching people in this parish who aren't just visitors? And two, I need to set up a Google alert for his name and just wait for the news to break. Everyone I know has a story like this. Some are worse. But here's the thing. Even if it's a venial sin and you're being too hard on yourself, there's no reason for a priest to do this. It doesn't make their job, their job easier. The only motivation is that they are rationalizing something. Yeah. Whew. There is so much in that tweet. Yeah, there is a lot. And, um, and before we go any further, I just want to maybe yeah. quickly say we are going to, like you said earlier, we are going to address this on a larger scale as a whole podcast. But right, the abuse scandal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, but I think specifically about this experience in confession, we can talk about now. Because mm -hmm. um, first of all, I mean, man. So one of the most important jobs I have as a priest, and I didn't know this going in, but. The second most important thing I ever do in the confessional, the first most important thing is forgive people. But the second most important thing, and it's pretty close, uh, it's right up there, is that I have so often apologized on behalf of the church on, and on behalf of the priesthood for ways that priests, you know, big and small, it's not always this you know, horrendous thing, but, but still damaging. Way have, they have confused people, who have hurt people, who have yelled at people, and to apologize on behalf of the priesthood. And this is mm -hmm. one of those moments where I'm just like, dude, I am sorry that you mm -hmm. had to go through this. Yeah. And he's right. A lot of people have. Yep. And I think, uh, I think he, it, I mean, it's good that we were there to kind of console him to say, it, it, did I'm he say really the words? I'm really glad he asked you as well yeah. because you're yeah. way smarter than me. So I was like, oh, good, good, good. We agreed. Good. I, I'm glad well, we were on the same page. <laughs> so for those who don't know, like with, with regards to absolution, it has nothing to do with the intention of the minister. Really. It's, 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 did they say the words of absolution? Because if they did, they intended to give them. And mm -hmm. if they intended to give them, your sins are forgiven, even if they don't think they're a sin. Because in this moment, they are not acting on their own behalf. They're acting on behalf. They're acting as a representative of the church and of Christ. So the words of absolution are definitive. They are always forgiving. And um, 
so if that happens to you and just you have to kind of beg because I've seen a few other stories on on Twitter uh, about something similar about these things. Mm-hmm. It, you just have to beg the priest for the words of absolution. And if he gives them, know it. And then don't go to that priest again for confession. Yeah, It's, it's unfortunate. You know, people think, you know, and if, if you think this is unique to our day, read some church history. Mm-hmm. Things have always been like this. It's just we're more aware of them now because of things like social media. They get stories out there. We hear these things a lot more often. It's sad. But like you said, I agree. Like my favorite thing to do as a priest really is honestly hearing, hearing confessions. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful ministry. And I've seen so much good come from it. And the people who come back over and over again with the same sins, knowing that we're there to help them to gain victory over this. And it's, it's really, it, and it's one of those things they can't train you for in seminary. Yeah. Like, did you really do practice? Can't. Did you do practice confessions in seminary? Like we did, but it what a waste didn't of time. really matter. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Like a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of guys are like worried. Like we're not getting enough practice, and after like a week, like two yeah. weeks, uh, yeah, that's better than any kind of practice you're going to get. Um, for any for anybody in seminary who might be listening to this, like, and you're freaking out about confession, just forgive people. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to come up with clever words. You don't have to come up with clever penances. Give them a penance. Forgive them. Like yeah. if you do that, you're a good confessor. Right, yeah. you don't have to be like Yoda in the confessional. Exactly. So try not to panic so much. And it, but there it's are a, a few. Oh, good. It's it's an art, and arts. Yeah. It, the the confessional is an art for a priest, and so mm-hmm. it takes time to learn an art. It's like you're two years old learning how to draw. The lines are going to be messy. You're going to color way outside the lines, <laughs> and it's okay because yeah. the good news is all that really matters in the end is those I I absolve you of your sins. Yeah. If you say those words. Everything is good, and that's all Amen. that people really want to hear. <laughs> it is. It is. Okay, but there are a few things, other things that in this tweet, and it kind of yeah. sent me on an emotional roller coaster because there's a lot. Okay. So, yeah. two aspects. One, this idea of priests saying things that aren't sins. Like, uh, no, sorry. So, priests saying what you have confessed is not a sin, and then connecting that with that priest's personal life. And then the other thing, should parishioners bring what's in the confessional priests who are screwing up in the confessional bring that to like the bishops right so my gut instinct was there's something that was told to me when i was newly ordained and i think it's important to keep in mind that a good priest in the confessional is very vulnerable in the sense that there is nothing i can say about your confession Mm-hmm. You can go and talk to your friend about if I was a good confessor, if I was a bad confessor, mm-hmm. if I panicked, if I made a loud sigh sound, whatever. You can tell that to anybody you want. I can say absolutely nothing. And so I think that's important to keep in mind when you're talking about confessors. That being said, if a priest is causing you confusion and pain and harm, that's a whole different story, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this intuition that a priest is saying these sins aren't sins has something to do with his spiritual life and his moral life. Uh, I mean, I don't want to paint with a broad bu- brush, but at the same time, I think that's it's kind of on the nose. I know. You know, because um, there are times that maybe you experience, I'm sure you experienced this as well when people um, confess sins that maybe it's something you're struggling with that week yeah. or that day. Like, you can feel your interior doing all kinds of crazy, like, <laughs> stuff. 
yeah. and you have to like pull yourself away from yourself just to minister to that person there. So I think yeah. there there could be a lot of truth to that. You're right. Now, what do you think about actually like bringing that to bishops? Because I, man. It's a tough one. I think it's even a tough one for bishops to act on in a way outside of like mm-hmm. serious actual abuse or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah, um, because a priest can't defend himself, like you yes. said, right? We yeah. we are, and if he is defending himself, he's broken the seal and he's excommunicated. So, um, I, it's a tough one to be honest. I think you'd have to have really good reasons to expose the priest. Um, it's and you know it'd be different too if you're a visiting person to a random parish yeah or if you're an actual parishioner because then if that's the way they might be in the confessional they might say things more publicly like in a homily or something like that that you would actually have a lot more legitimate basis but i would always say try to talk to the priest first because here's the other beef people think this is wrong i'm just going to tell the bishop right away yeah jesus says you talk to the person first always yes Ugh. And it's tough and it's tough and if we don't feel like we can talk to them then maybe we don't have anything to say mm. right like right. in this case with this tweet he he engaged with the priest so he, he did had, which takes right? a lot of courage it takes, it a, takes lot a lot of courage, courage right and i've seen that a lot and i and it's 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 not easy but so he did that i mean again i this one i, I i'm not sure but if if they said something in a homily i'd go talk to them and then if they said like let's say i don't know let's say they said something like I'm going to think of something that no priest would actually probably say. Um, okay. <laughs> all abortions are okay now. Okay. Let's say a priest said that in a homily. Right. Right. I don't, I don't think we'll ever hear that. But if you heard that, you went to talk to the priest first and say, Father, I really don't agree with this. And he says, well, this is, <laughs> this is the truth and I'm holding to it. Then you go talk to the bishop. Yeah. Right. I just, because I mean, I, I don't know if you've encountered it yet. I've encountered a couple of times where people have had complaints about mm-hmm. something I said or whatever. And they went yep. straight to the bishop. And the fir- and I got to give my, my chancery real credit on this. The first yep. thing they said, did you talk to Father Harrison about this? Mm-hmm. And if they say, we don't want to, then they say, we're dismissing what you have to say. Yeah. It's usually people who might, you know, it was, and it, they weren't big things or anything. It's just, trust me, when you're a priest, you're always going to have negative stuff on your file, folks. It's, Absolutely. It's, this, is, uh, this is just the nature. Because every letter that's written to the chancery gets put in our file. Mm-hmm. So... And we may not hear a lot about a lot of them. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 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 a tough one. It's a tough one. And I, but I, I, I think I, I get the raw emotion from it all. And I think it's Absolutely. coming out of what we've been hearing in the news the last few weeks as well. And I, I don't think he's wrong about it either. It's just it's yeah. We, I just sometimes want to say let's at least get a few more facts before you hurt someone's good name, mm-hmm. right? So, right. Yeah. I will say this: the only time I ever tell people what they're confessing isn't a sin the only time i've had to do that are these poor little old ladies and uh, old men yeah. who say they haven't been to mass and i yeah. ask them why haven't you been to mass because i was like sick. i broke my hip and i was in the hospital or i'm undergoing chemo i'm like yeah. oh that's not a sin if you literally can't make it to mass exactly peace. yeah know? exactly and, and those are that's yeah 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 so there is a time to say stuff like that but like yeah. people sin they sin and if you're not sure what they said is a sin then don't say anything exactly like, you don't know, so then shut your mouth and forgive them. Yeah. People prefer priests who just shut their mouth and give them absolution. Amen. <laughs> so do I, right? Amen. Because we Amen. go to confession too. We okay. do too. And I've and you know just maybe just one last point on this too is yeah. I've had I've had the whole array of experiences in confession as well. I I remember once distinctly a priest yelling at me in the confessional. Uh, and yeah. I said I walked out of that. I said if I'm ever a priest, I will never ever ever be like that. You can be hard. You can right. challenge. 
but yelling, but you should yeah. yelling is not okay ever. Yeah, I've had Nick. similar experience, absolutely. Yeah, so cool. Okay. Okay, so what we're gonna kind of dive into today is Jordan B. Peterson. More specifically, I think we're gonna dive into his book, Twelve Rules for Life. So this is actually what got us talking about coming up with a podcast. So Jordan B. Peterson, if you have no idea who he is, there's a little blurb on the back of his book. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. He's taught mythology to lawyers, doctors, and business people, consulted the UN Security General, and helped his clinical clients manage depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, and anxiety. So he's a psychiatrist type, but he got real popular because he started examining um, scripture, the Bible, and going through the Old Testament and kind of examining these things from a mythological, human, psychological kind of point of view. And those stories, I mean, and those podcasts, not podcasts, uh, YouTube videos would go on for like, you know, out there were long form YouTube videos and more and more people, especially young men, were listening to them. Uh, then there was this kind of incident in uh, Canada, something about um, language reform, like using... Um, gendered, non-gendered pronouns, and he was against this kind of thing. That kind of blew up. He was on several um, news stations doing these interviews that got a lot of traffic. Came to my attention because people started uh, tweeting pretty negatively about him, and like strongly negatively about him. And then I heard his name in uh, the Word on Fire podcast, where uh, Bishop Robert Barron gave him like a, a tentative, kind of hesitant thumbs up. And uh, recently, uh, Matt Fred on Pines with Aquinas, when he was answering questions, kind of gave him a thumbs up. Uh, so I was like, okay, who the heck is this guy? So started listening to uh, his book, uh, 12 Rules for Life, and was very much interested in what he was saying, what he was saying, and brought this to Father Harrison. And he was like, ooh, I don't know if this guy is so good. And I was like, oh, really? So we began talking about it. So the reason why I want to talk about it on the podcast is because a lot of people are. A lot of people are super devoted to this guy. A lot of people think he's Satan incarnate. And so we figured, let's figure out if he's somewhere in between those two things, right? So that's why we wanted to talk about his, uh, and specifically his book, 12 Rules for Life, just as something concrete to go off of. Yeah, and I think um, I, I, I mean, we, he's been in headlines here in Canada for a while because of like the gender neutral thing. He was... Because uh, he's a tenured professor at the University of Toronto, and uh, the these kind of political ideologies are much more prevalent in Canadian society, I would say, than mm -hmm. they are in the U.S. So he's been that was kind of his kick to th fame that that whole thing, but it got people to start listening to him. So he wrote a first book years ago called Maps of Meaning, which he was trying to look into what are the reasons behind the Cold War issues. This is he was trying to find a response to to the um, conflicts that that come about with the Cold War, and but it's a very, very heavy psychological book, and I haven't read it because yeah. it doesn't interest me too much. Um, <laughs> and so he's, I think there are some things in him that people. Well, I guess my concern is that you you see this often with Catholics. Oh, they're talking. He's talking about the Bible, therefore he must be totally on board with everything Catholic. Yeah, and he's essentially a good interpreter of a Catholic tradition for us, and I'm like, uh... <laughs> not so much, right? <laughs> so yeah. I thought, and so 
I hesitantly bought the audiobook to listen to when I was driving, which he mm-hmm. reads himself. Yes, and he, he is, I found it not that interesting, but then, so I listened to it half it, then I just finally got it on the Kindle just to kind of finish reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I honestly, I found it hard to finish. I found it kind of boring. <gasps> How dare you? I know. You found it boring? I know. So yep. I found, so I want to share one tweet about this that I thought kind of was really interesting about about him um it's from well we all know him as daniel at daniel underscore bear man but mm-hmm. his handle is uh, skull bear chicken no sorry bat b and skull <laughs> that's his username uh, that's how you find him yeah so my father-in-law told me he read jordan peterson's book and that it inspired him i got really nervous but then he explained it, it inspired him to reach out to the young men he works with before they're influenced by Peterson's atheist and silly philosophy, LOL. Yeah. And I thought that's actually, that's actually a really cool tweet. And I thought that was really neat. And I, it kind of summarized how I felt. Okay, okay. So you're not so big on this guy. But let me no. read you the rules. And you tell me if these rules sound bad to you, okay? Okay. So, rule number one. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Mm-hmm. Rule number two, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Three, make friends with people who want the best for you. Four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Five, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Seven, Pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Eight, tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Nine, assume the person you are listening to might know something you don't. Ten, be precise in your speech. Eleven, do not bother children when they are skateboarding. Twelve, pet a cat when you encounter one on the streets. Now, don't those sound like just delightful rules to live your life by? What could be wrong with any of that? It's so self-helpy, and I have a natural aversion to anything self-helpy. Anytime I hear self-help, I want to throw it at the wall. Why? Don't you want to help yourself? No, because I suck at that. That's why I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus. (laughs) He's pretty helpful, isn't he? He is pretty helpful. Listen, some of these rules aren't wrong. Right. Right. And I, I, I don't disagree with all of them either. Some of them I'm like, eh, I think there needs to be some qualifications and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I want to say that, A, we as Catholics have offered something way better in our tradition of spirituality and practical practical tools for living. Um, like the Pope's latest exhortation on, on holiness, Gaudete and Exultate. Mm-hmm. I think we, we have, so you have a lot of... Um, we have a lot of good stuff in, in the church already, which for me, it's like, I think it's not, he's not completely wrong on a lot, on some stuff. He, you know, you can't just throw, say this whole book's a, a bunch of junk. But I, I, what I feel like, I'm like, well, we have something so much better. And it saddens me to think people are going to him because they haven't heard what we have to say. Yeah. Or um, and what's, what's more difficult is there are a lot of young 
Catholics, and especially men, and maybe we can talk about the reason why um, it seems like more men are, are drawn to what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but my problem with it, there is a lot in this book. It's not the longest book. It's, you know, 300-some pages, right. pretty average size. And, but there is so much he puts in there. And it's not just the amount of stuff he has in there. All these things touch on, like, the deepest things of what it means to be a human being. Mm-hmm. And he makes so many claims as he goes out, and the way he makes the claims. So it's not just like the rules. It's not just because there is good advice in there. Mm-hmm. I think there's even good psychological mm-hmm. advice in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself, I've been to a therapist multiple times, and a lot of stuff we were saying, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's healthy. That makes sense. That's good. But to see him as this life guru thing, that's when you get into a little bit of danger. Yeah. Um, and especially when he gets into scriptural interpretation. Maybe we can kind of start with that. Because I yeah. was reading him, and like he kind of goes at things from um, a very biological evolutionary standpoint and what that means for psychology, mm-hmm. uh, which has some merit to it, maybe. Uh, and so I was able to kind of go along with that. But then he gets to interpreting um, the garden, Adam and Eve. And I was like, oh, this is like classically bad interpretation of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the classic interpretation of Adam and Eve, their sinning, their falling is actually a way to gain knowledge and go out into the world and blah, 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 right? <laughs> and yada, yada, yada. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I, I, when I read the book, I, I'm thinking this is, especially when he's getting into the scripture stuff, this is kind of a quasi-Gnosticism. And what I mean by that is this idea if you get into if you if you know the right things you do the right things you're going to have this secret knowledge that's going to make life perfect for you or better for you at the very least and I think especially like it's one of it's been one of my critiques of him in general is how he approaches the bible I don't think that the Bible, because there are human writers involved, right? With inspiration of Bible, we don't believe that God just picked up a pen and wrote it down. This isn't this isn't like the Quran. It's right. it's something that God uses humanity. This is the way God always works for us as Christians. God mediates Himself through the world, so mm-hmm. God uses human authors, and human authors have a psychology, and they have their own particular form and everything. So when they're writing, I'm not saying that these stories can't convey psychology. Yeah. My problem is that he stops there mm-hmm. and that he sees them as only beneficial for a psychological perspective, that they are only able to tell us something that's just psychological. And while as a psychologist, I get that. I'm wondering why can't he, he always, and he, he always stops there. And I, I and in a way he's right too, because yes. he, his field can't go into that other area. And I, and, and I think that's fair. But you have to be careful about reducing the Bible to something that's essentially a self-help tool. Right. See, that part doesn't bother... The fact that he does that mm-hmm. does not bother me. Mm-hmm. And when I've listened to other interviews with him, he's kind of he's kind of humble and reverential when it comes to do these things that he's observed, are they connected to some sort of um, metaphysical thing? Right. And he always says, you know, I just haven't thought enough about that, which is totally fair, I think. And it's fair for him to examine the Bible within his own field. I think what bothers me and what bothers you as well is that there are Catholics and Christians who are just eating all this up. Like, that's what bothers me. Right. That they don't see it. There's so much more. And that his interpretation, his um, you, seeing it purely through myth 
yeah um is dangerous for people exactly that the the church's tradition offers something more with that is there something you wanted to read from there uh well so another thing that he uses um christian language and christian ideas and christian images but without the same meaning necessarily that we do so there's um the part when he's talking about which rule is it it is um, do things that are pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Right. And I found this chapter particularly interesting because as I was listening to it, at the end of the chapter, as it gets into a kind of crescendo, he gets emotional as he's reading it. Mm-hmm. Like he feels this when he's saying it. Um, but the, I'm just going to read a sentence from this like near the end. Uh, maybe it's not the world that's at fault. Maybe it's you. You've failed to make the mark. You've missed the target. You've fallen short of the glory of God. You've sinned. And all of that is your contribution to the inefficiency and evil of the world. Now, that's a sentence that, I mean, I usually don't use, like, insufficiency in my homilies. But that's a sentence you might hear in one of my homilies. Like, you have sinned. You have fallen short. Like, don't look at the world and all of its evil. Look first at your heart, right? Right. But when he's talking about, like, heaven and hell, he's not talking about the metaphysical like heaven and hell as a place that souls you know go to right. he's talking about only things that can happen on this earth yeah and then he he's trying to come up with the whole idea of why do something that's meaningful why do something that's good and his reason for doing what is good and what is meaningful is that it contributes to being right and he sees being as a good and so like even that kind of language that's would be very comfortable in Aristotle. It'd be very comfortable in, mm-hmm. in, in some of Aquinas' language. Like, what is, is good. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing else that's built on, right? So I feel like, here's the thing with our culture and our world today. It is a post-Christian world in the sense that you can't have deep thoughts without encountering the Christian idea, right? Yeah. So even if he's not necessarily, I mean, I think he would say he's getting his ideas or using this language purposefully, but it's missing the heart out of it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a Christian person and you're reading this and you're buying it wholeheartedly without looking at it um, critically, then you're going to fall into what you said, Gnosticism. I think a lot of Pelagianism because there's no grace yep. here. Yeah. Right? And it's just not enough. So I think you're hitting the mark. This is, I think, okay. this has always been my, my, I, my central critique. And I want to bring up at the end where I think his future lies. Um, right. I want to start off first by saying I have a priest friend who's really into Peterson and, Ooh. and, but not in the self-helpy way that a lot of people are like, I would, I would say he's a lot more balanced about it in a way though too. And he has some criticisms too, but he says like, he's kind of going to the utmost bounds of his discipline and he has yes. to make that, that step if he wants, because like what you're, what you're getting at is this idea of what is, what is the underlying principle that upholds being? Right. This is your meta. This is the metaphysical question that's at the heart. It's it's, and it's something that I found so frustrating when I've read him or listened to him. You keep on talking about meaning, but meaning is purposeless if there is no transcendence. If there's nothing that exists outside the created world, then everything, everything, is uh, absurd. And we should just do what we want, when we want, and how we want, because there is no afterlife. And even living right now makes no no sense. And I think you're hitting it on the head when you're talking about 
the Christian ideas at play. That the Christian idea, whether you like it or not, like it's it it's the it's the question that is at the heart of our much of our modern conversations because you have to say is there something more and if there's something more it's what christianity has brought to the idea of being that says there's something that 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 helps that the world subsists in which is god himself so it's all about meaning and i found it so frustrating like how you're not get you're not going deep enough with your questioning you're you're just you're just stopping right there and i think oh so go ahead sorry go no go ahead go ahead yeah i think that's why one of the reasons why he is so popular because he gives you all this stuff and like yeah could he take you know someone who is completely lost completely lost mm-hmm. pick up this book could they become a better person i think so i think it, you could if you were just completely lost and out there right but he gives you so much of the christian idea without christ yeah so there is no commitments other than commitment to yourself right exactly and that's appealing to people because if you're going to commit to Christ, you have to sacrifice something. You have to let go of yourself right. and your idea of yourself. You have to be focused and directed toward an other, and that is a difficult thing to do. But hey, if you give me all these Christian ideas, all these um, even Christian virtues, there's some of that in there, and I don't have to worry about the whole Jesus thing, that is appealing to the world. I think it's the prosperity gospel for conservatives. <laughs> I think you're on something, yeah. Uh, is what? No, seriously, it, it, it's. I want to yeah. feel good as a person, yeah, because I don't feel good. But I don't agree with the liberal agenda or whatever it is. And here's some who is presenting to me the prosperity gospel because it has no real commitment. It doesn't really ultimately demand my life of me, which is yes. what like what the prosperity gospel is always proposing. It's just taking a conservative form. Because it's using language that conservatives like traditional roles and everything, and it kind of—I wanted to use that as a kind of lean into because this is my second big criticism of the book. You may remember when he's talking about uh, chaos and order. Yes. And he's talking about how uh, order is traditionally a masculine symbol, and chaos is traditionally a feminine symbol. And he, you know, that's very much true. I get that. Like in the sense of of it being a traditional symbol. Now, I'm not saying it's true, quad true. I'm just saying that it's, it's a tr- thing out there in the world. Yes. Right. That, that, this is a way a lot of cultures. That. Yeah, a lot of cultures have seen things this way. But he, that's all he says. He doesn't go further. He doesn't offer qualifications. And yes. like I, one of my, because you see this, because we thought that these, you know, a lot of men have taken hold of him, and I can see why. There's some. I don't think he's a misogynist. I do I not think that. I do not think that, and people who kind of throw that shade at him, I think, is is wrong. However, he he doesn't offer sufficient qualifications to save him from that label. Yes. So it's because when he's talking about that thing about order and chaos, he could say this was the traditional way, but obviously today, this doesn't hold for these reasons. Mm-hmm. If he would have said that, I would have bought in a lot more to what he was saying. But and I can just see how if a lot of men who are reading it, they're saying, yeah, there's uh, there's misogyny here, or just yeah. yeah, just oh yes, we need to reclaim masculinity, you know, the strong arm masculinity or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, that's a problem, and yep. and it scares me. And there is a vacuum of uh, a healthy idea of masculinity in our culture, and I would say even in our church, mm-hmm. even as a church, we we've gotten very bad, or we've lost, or 
are unable to speak of masculinity in a coherent way. Mm-hmm. And so you have this guy who is speaking strongly, who um, seems to be put together and saying these ideas, people are going to be drawn to that. Yeah. And I think this is where we as a church really need, not in the, you see, because this is where I think something, and I think it'll be a great topic one day for us to talk about more, is John Paul II's theology of the human person, or as it's popular known, theology of the body. Not in the popularized yeah. form of it, but in it, that this is what it really means to be a human being. This is what masculinity really entails. And this yeah. speaks to the truest sense of who you are, that it takes, like, what John Paul does with his theology of the human person is that he kind of gets to the core of 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 these stories in the Bible, he acknowledges their myth element too, sees the myth element, but also sees that they convey a divine truth and an anthropological truth of what it means to be human and who God is. And it, it kind of wraps the whole system together. That meaning is not found just in the self. It's actually found in the gift of self. And, yes. and this, and I, I think that's the biggest issue with Peterson again. There's no self gift. Yeah. There is no self gift. I mean, there's there's contributing to the world that's ultimately yeah. for yourself. Right. Right. And that's very... So the big question for me is, would you put this book on the index? And the index, for people who don't know, is this idea that we had in the church where, like, there are certain books Catholics should not read, which I am actually kind of... I like that idea yep. because knowledge and reading, these are things that affect our lives. Yep. So this is my fun question. Should the book be put on the index... I think I would because hmm. he touches on very important things in life, in the human person, and because he doesn't have those qualifications, because he only goes so far, people can take those things and use them for evil, use them for misogyny, use them for um, self-aggrandizement, uh, and therefore, and because there's so much other good stuff out there in our tradition, no, I don't think it's worth reading. Okay. So, it's a good question. I kind of want, can I put some caveats with that? Oh, yeah, go for it. Okay, so the first thing is, and this is something I think that's really important. This is where he's beneficial to us. Okay. He's showing us that we are failing at getting our message out there. We are doing a horrible job at it, and we to be much better at preaching and teaching what it means to be human. This is why I'm of the big opinion, theological anthropology, which is the theology of the human person, is the most important thing we can do as a church today. So should it be on the index? I want to put it with that a caveat of depending on where he goes. Because I think he, he, he's pushing the limits of his discipline. And he has three options, I think. He can continue the path he's on. But people are going to be searching for deeper meaning. Because when you're asking the question of meaning, you're always looking for ultimate meaning. And yes. so if he just kind of continues to kind of question and question and question and never finds an answer, people are going to get bored. And they're just going to lose them. And so if that happens, I don't, I don't worry if it's on the index or not because it'll just be another dollar book at the used bookstore that everyone read and that it's, it's fallen out of favor. The other two options are he then, or he starts his own cult. Oh, yeah, it's always an option, right? Which I really think <laughs> is a legitimate option. He actually bought a church. Oh, I did not know this. He, yes, he, he owns a church in Toronto. He bought the church building more as an investment, but I'm just... People are, there's some people who are a little weirded <laughs> out by this. Yeah. If he did that, then I would say absolutely put him on the index because <laughs> it's going to lead him in that direction. Or he's going to become Catholic. 
Yeah, if and you're asking if, these questions honestly. And if he becomes Catholic, I wouldn't worry about it because obviously these steps allowed him to finally get there. And just as every good um, intellectual does, they will get answers wrong and they will offer retractions at the end of their life. And I'm sure if he became Catholic, he would do the same, just like Augustine did, right? Augustine exactly. said some heretical things. And at the end of his life, he offered retractions. And yeah. and so that's okay. So I, for me, that's why I want to put that caveat. It depends on where his his mission goes mm-hmm. that I... I kind yeah, of I think it's fair. That question. It's very fair. So, yeah. So, so that's Peterson. Are you saying we should pray for Jordan Peterson? Obviously. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's way more fun to demonize people and not to treat them as people. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's—I so mean—that's my concern too. Yeah. It's like you have it because you have a lot of liberals who don't like him. But right. I'm like, no, he's a—he's a person. Right. You, you, you don't have to like him. That's yeah. fine. You don't have to like his ideas, but he's a person. Right. And persons always should be prayed for, regardless. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, I guess that's our first podcast. There you go. So thanks for listening, everyone. And, you know, well, like I said, we're, we're, we're still getting the feel for this. So if you have any questions, comments, you can follow us at ClericalPod on Twitter. We'll probably get a Facebook group up here at some point, but uh, that's the place you'll be able to meet us. I'm at FR Harrison. And, and I am at father the whole world <laughs> at father Sharafa, and uh, send all of your critiques to father harrison send all of your praise and adulation to me oh Thank and you. and we also and oh. we also have an email address uh, oh, email address. Clar- yeah clerically speaking at gmail.com oh so fancy yes so you can any questions or comments you can send them there we may we can't guarantee we're always gonna be able to get back to you but right. uh we appreciate any feedback you might have so thanks for listening and god bless you all peace